Second Corinthians 5, I'm going to just read from verse 17 through to the end of the chapter. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Amen. Sunday evening communion shouldn't be any different from any other time, but there is something a little bit, not extra special, but a little bit different in the evening time because we can take just that little bit more time as we consider all the implications that, that this table that, that is set before us speaks of. It is in his death that we are to remember Jesus. Not his miracles, not his teaching, not his healing. By his death. So therefore, it's important that we do that and that we do it with hearts that are filled, as one of the Getty songs, I think it's the Getty songs, says, filled with thankfulness to him who bore my pain, who plumbed the depths of my disgrace and gave me life again. And all I want to do this evening is share some thoughts with you from the passage that we read earlier and, and do pray that it will be a means of encouragement and blessing to us as we prepare to remember Jesus in the way that he has asked us. We, we broke into our scripture reading there towards the end of chapter 5. Chapter 5 is a chapter where Paul has been speaking from, from verse 1 onwards about the ministry and the message of reconciliation. And in verse 17, he uses the word therefore, which is a bridge word. It is a bridge word to all that he has been saying and to all that he is about to say. And so the first thing that I want us to notice, and then it's not rocket science tonight, but the first thing I want you to notice is this, what or who we are, namely our status. 
It's always an interesting question when you meet somebody new. Um, it's very long before, and kind of, what do you do? Or the minute you say minister, most people kind of clam up and look to avoid and go another way. But were you asked what you are, who you are, how would you reply to that question? Because if we're honest, there are many, many ways to do so. Uh, take myself, for instance. I am, or I at least was, both my parents are dead now, but, but I am a son. I'm a brother. I'm a husband. These are all in no particular order, okay? I'm a husband. I, I, I'm a dad, I'm, I'm a granddad, I'm, I'm an uncle, I'm a cousin, I'm, I'm a nephew, I'm a minister, I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm, so I said that in no particular order. I'm, I'm, I'm a Rangers fan, I'm a friend. Who are you? What are you? And all of these things that I've said there, they all say something about me. And I'm sure... That were you to do the same, you, you can run off quite a few responses as well to what to who you are. Well, notice how in verse 17 Paul says that if anyone is in Christ, here's what you are, who you are, here's your status. You are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. It actually ties in with what we were thinking this morning regarding restoration. Well, what does it mean? What does it mean to be a new creation? Well, it speaks, doesn't it, of a change in our life, a change from that old way that we used to live to this wonderful new life that we have in Jesus Christ. To be in Christ, that phrase that we saw so often in Ephesians, to be in Christ is to be like new. That is why we speak of being born again. And actually it was Jesus that used that phrase. It is not just a case of turning over a new leaf or just trying a little harder. It is a brand new start. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. Another old hymn tells us what a wonderful change in my life has been wrought. How, where, when, why? Since Jesus came into my heart. And brothers and sisters, there needs to be a change. There needs to be a notable change. There should be a world of difference between those who are in Christ and those who are not. It is like the difference, to go back to this morning, it's like the difference of, of a restored building compared to the ruin that it once was. And what Paul does here is he uses creation language to describe this change. In chapter 4, verse 6, he takes us back to, to Genesis where God in creation said, let light shine out of darkness, just as we're thinking of the children this morning, let light shine out of darkness. Well, likewise, in the new creation, God says the same. 
Although this time where the darkness of sin is dispelled by the light of the gospel. And those who are in Christ are made new. So, so allow me or bear still, let God through his word and by the power of the Spirit challenge you. Because I think some need to be challenged by asking this question directly. Are you a new creation? Are you this evening in Christ? I'm not asking if you know about the new creation. I'm not asking if you know the gospel. Do you know him? Do you know Jesus? Who to know is life eternal. Jesus came that we might have life and life to the full. Are you living that fullness of life in him? The joy of your sins forgiven. The peace with God. The assurance of an eternity in heaven. Friends, this is the old, old story of Jesus and his love. And I know we know it. But it's astounding. It's amazing. Because what it does is it takes rebel sinners like me and you and it makes us new. Wow. Notice the word there, what Paul says. He says, if anyone, anyone is in Christ. You know, see in that little phrase alone, we have, if you like, both the, both the inclusiveness and the exclusiveness of the gospel. What do I mean by that? Well, we have the exclusiveness of the gospel in that anyone, for God so loved the world that he gave the inclusiveness of the gospel. But we also see the exclusiveness of it. In Christ. In Christ alone. My hope is found. For as Acts 4 and 12 reminds us. Salvation is found in no one else. No one else. All roads do not lead to heaven. There is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must, notice the necessity, we must be saved. I am a new creation. No more in condemnation here. In the grace of God I stand. Brothers and sisters, that is what, that is who we are if tonight we are in Christ. Let's take a moment to sing that little chorus through twice. Just remain seated. Notice secondly how we are our source. We have seen the way to this new creation is to be in Christ. That is to trust in his life, in his death, and in his resurrection. 
And verse 18 of the chapter we read earlier clearly shows us that it is all of and from God. The source of our status, of our standing, of our salvation, of being this new creation lies completely with God. The whole movement towards humanity in its greatest need namely the need of salvation, of restoration of the new birth, is from and of God. He is its source. We saw that most clearly in our studies in Ephesians, where we were called by the Father, we are cleansed by the Son, and we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. And God loved us and loves us for no other reason than he loves us. And he chose to do it. And he chose to do it in and through Jesus Christ. It is in and through Christ and Christ alone that we or anyone is ever reconciled to God. And the very fact that God needed to do something to reconcile shows that we were and we are alienated from him. That was our condition. That was our status before being saved. Do you remember yourself in that condition? Then God reached down. He graciously saved us. But before he did, we were at enmity with him. We were divided, we were away from him. There was a breakdown in that relationship and the communication. And we see from the language that Paul uses here in 2 Corinthians 5 that he is teaching clearly that God was the aggrieved party and that it is God who does the reconciling. And verse 19 shows us that it was our sin that caused this alienation. Yet amazingly, for those who are in Christ, our sins are no more. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. God does not count them against us. Can we not read? Joys in that great truth this evening that my sin or oh, the bliss of this glorious thought my sin not in part but the whole is nailed to his cross and I bear it no more and because God is if you like the source of our salvation. It can be trusted. But notice how. Look at verse 21. Verse 21 is a truly remarkable verse. This is how our new status and standing in Christ was achieved. Its source, yes, was God, but notice the sacrifice that was required. Let the Bible speak for itself here. God made him who had no sin 
to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Brothers and sisters, the depth, I know you know this, <laughs> the depth of this one verse is in many ways unfathomable. Yet the reality of it is life changing. I fear even to begin to speak on it lest I take away the sheer wonder of it all. God made him. That is Jesus. The one who was sinless, who was spotless, who was perfect, who shared God's glory from eternity past. God made him to be sin. And he did it for me. And he did it for you. God took, if you like, what was due to me and he laid it on his son. We have here in this verse the doctrine of imputation. The word comes from, believe it or not, the banking world. <laughs> and it basically means put to one's account. When you go in to the bank, and, and you pay money in, that sum of money goes to your account. Well, Paul is using that. And what he is saying here is that God imputed all our sins on Christ on the cross. Jesus was treated as though he actually had sinned. Our salvation might be free to us, but it was not free to Christ. Do you ever doubt God loves you? Then look to the cross, its source and its sacrifice. And because Jesus paid the debt, my guilty soul is counted free. Why? Because as another old Tim says, sorry for the, all the old Tims, because God the just looks on him and pardons me. Every week we gather around this table to, to remember the cause of our salvation, the price of being a new creation. And as we do so this evening, let us take time to ponder, let us take time to meditate upon these words for ourselves. That God made him who knew no sin become sin for us. Can, can they go up, William? Just that. Can you put that, just that verse up, please? Look at it. Read it. Meditate upon it. And let's just have a time of 
silence or if you want to pray, that's fine. But just let the truth of that verse really hit home. And if you've never trusted Christ, then know tonight that this is how much God loves you. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's just meditate upon that. Then we're going to sing, Go to see the dawn, and then we'll have our time around the Lord's table. these verses so well but we pray that tonight they may come just with a freshness that we might know what it is to truly praise you for the new creation that we are in Christ thank you that you oh God where and are its source. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that yours was the sacrifice. We just bow down and we think what language can we borrow to thank you, dearest friend, Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you who knew no sin became sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Such love from such a saviour Accept our heartfelt thanks. And as we go into a time of remembrance around this table, may you be known to us in the breaking of bread and in the drinking of the cup. In your name we pray. Amen. Sing, creation is what and who we are, and if God is its source and Christ its sacrifice, the how we are, then kind of one other question, for at least me, poses itself, and Paul actually answers it, and it's the kind of why we are. Why we are. Why did God go to all this bother? And why are we still here? Well, notice verse 20. Because verse 20 tells us, brothers and sisters, if we are in Christ, then we are an ambassador of Christ. In the second part of verse 19, we read that God has entrusted, has handed over to us this wonderful message and ministry of reconciliation. 
It is in our hands. God has entrusted it to us. And Paul uses the word ambassador. It's an interesting word that he uses. You'll be well aware that an ambassador is a recognized messenger. And an ambassador speaks on behalf of someone, or as we would perhaps say no today, a country. And the interesting thing is, an ambassador does not an ambassador does not say whatever he wants to say. They speak only what they are told to, told to say. And, and, and so it is with us. So what a high calling it is to be an ambassador of Jesus Christ. To represent God in this world. Verse 1 of chapter 6 says, God's fellow workers. What another great status to have. Ambassador of Christ and God's fellow worker. Who do you work for? Who do you serve? God chooses to work not just in us, but through us. Christ died that we might live through him and for him so that one day we might live with him. What impression do we give of Jesus to those that we work with, to those that we live with, to those that we mix with? Do we speak and do we serve as we should? You see, a nation at times, particularly in Paul's time, they can be judged or were judged by the behavior of its diplomatic representatives. And as we go out into the evening, and as we go out into a new week. What kind of ambassador are we going to be for Jesus? We are to serve Christ. We are his representatives. We work together with God. What a high and what a holy calling. And, and it's for each one of us because it's important that we see actually in, all, in this, these verses, Paul speaks in the plural. Paul was never into a one-man show. He says, we are. He says, through us. He speaks as God's fellow, not worker, but God's fellow workers. Brothers and sisters, we are all in it together, you, me, and God. And we all have our part to play. It is kind of why I dislike the term full-time ministry. We, we, should all, we should all be giving our best time, our whole time to God in his service. In whatever way we do. 
and wherever we go. This is our God, the servant king. He calls us now to follow him. Romans 12, 1, I urge you, in view of God's mercy, and here is God's mercy at its greatest. I urge you, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. What we are, our status, how we are, the source, soul of God, why we are, our service as ambassadors for Jesus Christ, the King of Kings. Facing a task unfinished. The job's not done. And it won't be until Christ calls or returns. Facing a task unfinished that drives us to our knees. Let's stand and sing this as our final hymn. Thank you. And thank you to those.